Welcome to the Baseball America podcast. Baseball America, bringing you baseball news you can't get anywhere else for more than 35 years. Now it's time to talk baseball. Welcome back here on the Tuesday edition of the Baseball America Prospect Podcast. Daily podcast. We're going to keep trying to roll these out every day. And we're rolling now. We're going back in time. We have the playoffs going on, so we were talking World Series. So, yes, we did the White Sox yesterday on the podcast, but we're going back because we haven't covered the AL East yet. And we're not doing this in alphabetical order. We're going to start this off with the Tampa Bay Rays, which I believe actually was the last one we rolled out in the uh, in the AL East Top 10 list. Uh, no, second to last. I think we did Blue Jays after them. I think we did go alphabetical on that. But so we have J.J. Cooper joined by Hudson Belinsky. Hudson wrote our Rays Top 10. And this is a... Uh, I feel like a a pretty interesting top 10, a pretty good top 10. But Hudson, before I ask you about the top 10, I kind of will start this off by, so where are the Rays right now and kind of, you know, where do you see them in heading into 2017, 2018? So that's uh, it's an interesting situation because their, their, you know, their foundation coming into 2016 is their pitching staff. Uh, mm-hmm. And but they've been very good at developing for a decade now. Long time. They have a very good developmental track record when it comes to pitching. The outside of that, they have some some boppers in the lineup, but they don't have uh, significant on base threats up and down the lineup. Um, yeah, they hit power was not a problem. Home runs, they did that. No, they I mean they they had some guys up the middle who hit for some power. They. I mean, they, Guys who up the middle who moved to first base who hit for power. Yeah, I mean they, Brad they, Miller. They have, um, I mean Kiermaier. I mean that's mm-hmm. that's a good. That's piece. a that's a very good piece to to have going forward. Longoria is still in the prime. Yeah, Long, Longoria is still in his prime and still has plenty of team control. Though, as Ken Rosenthal wrote this week, he does get ten and five rights in 2018. So it's coming up to the point of whether they. Do want to explore trading him? Uh, he's still a very valuable asset. I don't know that, if the, his market is quite there this off season. With the, I, I just haven't thoroughly examined the openings for third base options, so I don't know if there's going to be a huge market for him in the 2016-17 off season. But a good asset to have that is controllable and very cheap for the Rays right now. And let's be honest: if, if they trade Longoria, that is a sign that they are. That's I know a total that rebuild. I know that this is a team that is is basically. I mean, I always call it arbitrage. You know, in that no one is, everyone is tradable from the standpoint of if you can get more value in return, then you can say it's not necessarily for rebuilding. But you trade Evan Longoria away, that's about as close as you can say to signifying that you're tearing it down and starting over because it's hard to see how this team. I mean, that's him and Kiermaier are the cornerstone guys as far as the lineup. Yeah, and, I, yeah, I would agree. They. Things that they do have going well. Um, they pick high in 2017. That's good. Um, what are the advantages have, of winning 68 have, games? <laughs> they have depth. They have a whole bunch of guys who are fourth starter types. Um, they have some tradable guys, some guys they can trade right now. Um, and their farm system has a lot of guys who are very close. So if they And decide, they have guys like Blake Snell who were up last year but are still... I would argue that Blake Snell is their best pitcher. Yeah. I mean, he was pretty good. In 2016. And, and that actually, that is a sign, though, of what went wrong. Mm-hmm. If you're saying that rookie Blake Snell was your best pitcher and not Chris Archer, that's a sign that things did not go. And they won 68 games. Things did not go as the Rays at home. Yeah, there were some injuries, and there were, I mean, 
there was just underperformance in the rotation, really. That's um, and and they had a tough division, and they still have a tough division to play in. That's not changing anytime soon. And they are facing teams. Let's just be honest about it. Boston was better than them this last year, and Boston is better positioned. Even if you took the massive, and I do mean massive, spending advantage that Boston has away from them, they're still better positioned. They have more young talent. I would say that while the Rays farm system is deeper, I would I would trade the Rays farm system for the Boston farm system probably because I would rather the Boston because I'll take stars to you know and that's still Mankata Benintendi. I I would agree. You know, I, so I would agree that I'd rather have the Rays. So farm. that's. That's a tough, and that, that now we're not even talking about the Yankees. Which the thing about New York is, is that they finally bought into. They well, I didn't say bought in. They finally got out from under all those massive long-term contracts. The vast majority of those are now in the past for them. Yeah, their outlook's pretty good, and their farm if, system if is deep. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it's, it's when we talk it's about the Rays, like deep. A, too good of an outlook. To be true, I think for the Yankees, especially like, when you consider that they now actually don't have that much money committed. Yeah, and, and so was it the eighteen free agent class that's supposed to be? Or it's not this one, but next year is yeah, supposed to be really good, and they have a lot of young players. And basically, and guys who've done it in the big. And let's now. be honest, they've been linked to Bryce Harper for about five years already. I mean, you know, <laughs> yeah. So their chances going forward, they have a good. I mean, they have a difficult for the Rays I, I, to compete with situation. I will put it this way: another, and this is. Just something that's obvious, but if the Angels ever, and I don't know if they ever will, but if they ever got to the point where they said, you know what, we're not going to win before Trout's contract is up, and so it's best off if we trade Mike Trout, which I don't know if that <laughs> ever happened. The logical team is the Yankees, because the Yankees have an extreme. Would you trade, I mean, I'll put it this way. Would you trade Gary Sanchez for Mike Trout? Yeah. I'd want to think about it, but because you have six years of control versus with two or three at this point. Three, I think. Yeah. So I, I mean, and I would do it. We don't. We Best don't, player in baseball. I mean, we don't really have a sense of how good Gary Sanchez is actually going to be. I will say this: well, that's true. We also do know as Gary Sanchez was better in that last two months for the Yankees, as good as his potential has always been. He was better than anyone can be over those two months. Right. So I don't. I, I mean, don't Gary Sanchez is not going. Gary Sanchez is not going to keep that it's, up. It's very. It's unlikely that he will keep that up. But if he does, then uh, is uh, that a better profile than Mike Trout for the? I, for, I would for a five-year outlook. And I would say when you talk about the again the uncertainty there, if I get Mike Trout, I know the certainty. I have the best player in baseball. He's going to be in his prime for the entire time that that contract is going on. I'll just take that. And you have a pretty good shot at extending him. Yes. Are the Yankees still not doing extensions? I haven't kept up with uh, that. But, but, okay, sorry. We digress. Back to the Rays. This is a fun discussion with that. So so in 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 terms of the the Orioles have pretty good major league outlook right now. I don't think their farm system is as good as the Rays. No. No, no. The Blue Jays will see this is a very critical offseason for them with what they have coming out. But all these teams have been difficult to compete with. I mean, the Rays have not had a winning record in the last three seasons. So they are in many ways at kind of a, a, a decision point because really 
this they're coming off of a stretch. They had a stretch where they were as good as anyone in the AL East. And basically that kind of coincides with the the, the beginning of the Longoria era and kind of takes it through the middle of the Longoria era. But now here we are, and it's harder to map out because, again, we know that they're going to be at a massive financial disadvantage against pretty much everyone else in their division, especially now that Toronto has turned back into being kind of a colossus in some ways, which they should be. Toronto's a very big city. Toronto and they own the Canadian Toronto baseball owns the Canadian baseball market. That's a very big market compared to the Tampa Bay Rays, which are located in St. Pete mm-hmm. and and struggle to draw in of you know they have Florida largely to them, but that doesn't you're not going to draw. It also isn't clear that uh, success on the field translates to higher revenues for them. No, that that hasn't been proven by them. And they're stuck in the second worst stadium situation in Major League Baseball and. Much like Oakland, they have very little path out of it. So it's a lot of glum things there. I, and, you know, I, I understand why Andrew Friedman and all <laughs> so, so left me, to go to L.A. Let me bounce this back to you then. Would the idea of stocking the farm system with both safe assets who are likely to play in the big leagues and have some impact and high-stealing guys who are very risky be the approach to solving that? Because that's what I think the Rays have done in the in the past couple drafts on international free agent periods. No, I think I think they have to do that, and I think that they. Excuse me. Oh, excuse me. Uh, but I do think that's what they have to do in some ways. And the toughest part about it, though, is is that this is a never-ending treadmill for them. Right. And even when they do it relatively well, the margin of error is so small. The David Price trade. Willie Adamez is the best prospect. He's number one on this. Willie Adamez has paid off. I didn't see him play the big leagues yet, but Willie Adamez has the value right now if you'd wanted to turn around and trade him. That, that's a hit. They took a low A shortstop, mm-hmm. and here they are. He's developed as they hoped he would develop. But that's, but Drew Smiley I has. I think been, they've got a very good track record of pro scouting. Uh, oh, I and, think it's and one trade of the best. acquisitions of, of minor leaguers. And you look at their top ten right now. I mean, you have Adames one, Bowers four, Chiwehu five, Justin Williams nine. Those are all trade acquisitions. Those are all trade acquisitions. Yep. And there, then, as we got into their thirty, there, there are more significant boons to their system who they acquired in trades that were maybe better than we realized or the industry realized at the time. So I think they've. Oh, hit, the thing, they've, and I, they've I think well. also I think you also have to give credit to their development too because absolutely you you look at guys like Willie Adamas. Willie Adamas was seen as okay. This this is a very intriguing prospect. Again, low A shortstop at the time, and but there was questions. Okay, will he be able to stay at shortstop, and how well will the bat develop? And so far, and again, this isn't a guy who's an established big leaguer, but so far, check and check, Jake Bowers. Jake Bowers was in the Midwest League when they, you know, at, when they traded for him. And, and Jake Bowers is a guy who you could find scouts who really liked Jake Bowers at the time. But he was a first baseman, and there was questions about the power potential. There were questions about, okay, yeah, he's really good defensively at first, but, I mean, how much impact is there? There's not a lot of low-A first basemen, especially low-A first basemen who, don't, who aren't hitting, you know, 30 home runs a la Bobby Bradley. Those guys don't get traded for very often. And... 
Jake Bowers is significantly more valuable now than he was when they traded him. Yeah, I think if they could uh, maybe redo that Will Myers trade, they might do it uh, a little differently at the time. Yeah. Not, then, I mean, but Bowers has a chance to basically save that trade for them, which... The rest of it's not so good. No, I mean, Travis Ott is of some interest uh, as a deceptive lefty who repeated short season A-ball. But that, that's the, and Steven Souza is the other player they got back. But when you look at like Trey Turner going to the Nationals and Robin yes. Russ also going to the Nationals, yeah, Rob, the, the Nationals, the Nationals is that the right Ross? I think Joe Ross. Joe Ross, the Nationals won that trade, and it's not even close. Yeah, uh, no, and so that's with Will Myers being an All Star this year. Yeah, so I mean, hindsight is twenty twenty. But again, they, that's what I'm but, saying. They have very little margin for error. Great trade, Chiwei Hu, who's number five on this list. Yeah, pick. Turn around a reliever, basically a half-season reliever for Chiwe Hu. Great not trade. Like, not a closer. Like Kevin Jepsen. For two months of Kevin Jepsen, you got Chiwe Hu, who is probably a top five, a top 100 prospect right now. I was going to say, I think he's right on the fringe of it, yeah. I mean, and I, There's certainly an argument for him. Yeah. I mean, and, this is a guy who's had success in double-A, I mean, already. You know, yeah, I think I, I think that you could definitely say that. I mean, he's, he's on that cusp. And again, he's an organization that knows how to develop starting pitching. Um, now we know also with him that get comfortable in Durham this year because they're also not an organization that, that brings their guys up very quickly. He's going to get some time in, in AAA as well. Well, then, Ian, and that's the thing. The Durham rotation this year could at some point have him, Jake Faria, Schultz, Jamie Schultz, who's mm-hmm. significant, didn't make the top 10, but is a significant prospect. And Brent Honeywell could be there. I mean, which, which if you look at, what Honeywell's done the past couple of years, he's been promoted mid-season, so he's likely to start in Double A. And with his stuff, and we, I mean what he, what he did in AFL this weekend, look, it's a pretty good chance that this guy ends up in that Triple A rotation. So what you have is a whole bunch of starting pitching prospects who are going to be in Triple A, and a whole lot of guys at the big league level that have value because, but. The they tough, remain cost control. I mean, the the tough thing is, though, is it's like like I mean, I the Matt Moore trade. Yeah, that that one's that one doesn't look so good right now. Yeah, not, but, not they can't pay also, off. We did just establish that they have a very good track record as a pro scouting department. Right, but so it may, Lucius it, Fox may have been in over his head. He at, was at, not, not may have been. He anyway, was over his head. But his tools, it certainly sounds like they're something that the Rays people are excited about. Right. And we have a good track record of now of them finding guys like that and developing. Uh, absolutely. So, I mean, and we are talking about a guy who was, I mean, he's he is a top 200, top 250 prospect still. Even Lucius? The, yeah. Yeah, yeah, I would I would agree. Yeah. Um yeah, so there is I mean that maybe you could have got argued that there would have been more value for Matt Moore than what they got back, especially considering that Matt Moore got to be, you know, was pretty good down the stretch, but and he's under, again, but they have a lot of guys like that. I mean, Jake Odorizzi, you know, or... And it's uh, Drew Smiley. Uh, Drew Smiley, who it's, bad it's year last year, but... A if, thin know. starting pitching market this offseason is extremely thin. And, and you would think that they're not going to be on the market to trade mo- many of these guys now. Because as you said, partly because they don't have... They could, I mean... But they don't have answers now. Like, if they did that, you know... Yeah, if you come do a complete teardown, then you go out and you find you sign minor league, you know, invites to guys to find starters. But by the trade deadline, 
I mean, a number of these guys could be ready that it could be something where it's almost organic. Like, okay, can I trade then a Matt Andrees for something? And the reality is, is the guy you plug in is going to be every bit as good as Matt Andrees. Right. Your risk in that is that this 2016 season, which was a down year for several of these pitchers, is not a fluke and that they're actually right. going to You're continue to on... decline. And so now, now, so Archer, for example, has his value, he still has value right now because he has multiple years of success before 2016. Right. So if you're like look, plugging him into like a projection model of some sort and you still are weighing. Oh, yeah. His pre, his past history. Like he's, he's still, a frontline starter. I mean, yeah, I mean, he's still probably. The controls always. is like a two or a three mm-hmm. when you line it up, but. He's still pretty good. He still has some value. And so I think Oh, I would say that Chris Archer is the guy you don't want to trade right now because you'd be trading him like I mean, I know there's risk there. I know that there's risk that we could have seen the, the, the best of Chris Archer is in the past and this is the Chris Archer. But to me, the risk of trading away a guy who can be an ace is higher than the risk of trading away before his value diminishes further. Because he's only had one bad year right now. That's a good point. I mean, that's something I have to do more research on. Is like, what is the, the history of, of guys like that? Um, but the but the, the thing is, JJ, is that I think the market for pitching has been so inflated, especially by these reliever trades. Like the Miller and Chapman trades, which Miller, Andrew Miller and Aroldis Chapman are hugely valuable assets, and we saw that in the postseason. But if, or, or even Rich Hill and Drew Pomeranz, what the prospect returns for those guys mm-hmm. was so exorbitant. And we have now, we're talking about Chris Archer versus those guys. Chris Archer should get a better package than either Rich Hill you or You have multiple Drew years of team control and you have frontline starter upside. So. Oh, no, you, you could, I mean, I don't know who has, uh, look, which teams have the, both the need for starting pitching and the prospect depth to make that happen. But you, in theory, if I'm the Rays, I'm absolutely listening for offers on Chris Archer right now. Because somebody might blow you away. Oh, yeah. I would not I would not say I would not hang up the phone before I talk because, you know, and you said you're right. There aren't that many organizations that can even be in that conversation. Yeah. I mean, so is it a great outlook right now for the Rays? No, it's I mean you have a very competitive situation in the American League East, but you do have plenty of tradable assets and some guys who are in AAA. And the thing is there's there's volume in AAA. So there's five guys I mentioned who are going to be in AAA next year. Odds are three of those are going to work out. Now, the other one I wanted us to kind of dive into, there's two other things here in the top 10. Probably the most interesting debate that we have in the office as far as where do these guys rank. Adames was a pretty clear one. Honeywell's a pretty clear two. And then we got to three and four. Yeah. Casey Glassby, Jake Bowers. Uh, three and four are we have a first baseman and an OF slash 1B. Who's best? Jake Bowers' best position is first base. But Bowers and Glassby played together some, you know, have played together some. And the reality of it is, is that Glassby's a first baseman. And he's more your more traditional profile in that he's a big power guy if it all comes together. Bowers is more athletic, can play the outfield as well. Mm-hmm. 
But that was a tough call. Like, okay, yeah, we, you know, I wrestled with that one for a long time. And so I, did, going into the research for you know when the season wrapped up, I didn't expect to have uh, Glassby that high up. But I mean, my looks at him personally in Durham at the end of the season were very, very good. And then as I started making more calls about him, the reports were really good. And we have a guy who's this was his first season fully healthy. No restrictions, just go and play. And he got to AAA, he hit for power, he got on base, he has elite strike zone awareness, uh, short stroke from the left side, power from both sides, means switch hitter. Mm-hmm. I think he's an okay first baseman. Uh, I'm, I'm big on Casey Glaspie. I really, really like Casey Glaspie. Just because there's not a whole lot of prospects who project to hit in the middle of the lineup. And in terms of what the Rays need right now, he fits like we, very well. The beginning of our conversation was they don't have a lot of guys who get on base and can do damage. This guy fits that profile. Bowers, I really, really like. Uh, but Bowers, I think the uncertainty for his power was a little bit, for me, what drove him down. I like guys who hit the ball hard and guys who have really loose wrists like he does. Uh, but, you know, you actually want to see the power production to be certain. Although I would, again, I will argue, 14 homers this year. There's certainly growth. And, For, and not, 14 homers. Raw power. I and, like him. And 14 homers in the Southern League this year, which was a, was, I mean, what depressed hitting overall. Um, you know, 28 doubles this year. Um, and the key thing with him that I, I, I'm a big Bowers guy. The key thing with him also is we're talking about a guy who played all year last year at 20. I mean, he's always he's exceptionally been. Exceptionally young. He's always been one of the youngest guys in his league. He played basically last year. He's he's two and a half years younger than Gillespie. Um, my thing with Bowers has always been, again, he is. There's some risk there because, as you said, I mean, this is not a guy who's been a thirty home run guy and with average, which right. a I first baseman profile that makes it a little tougher. But that always being said, like my thing with him has always been, line him up with. I think Dominic Smith is a much more prominent prospect overall. I'm not sure I agree. Not more, pro- not more prominent. Um, more, more famous. Yes. Yeah. Sure. And what I'm saying is, is that you line those two guys up, and they're very similar prospects. That's all I've ever said with them. We had them one spot apart. We had them basically lined up together in our top hundred last year. I still like that a year later. I mean, they, they're very, they're they do it different ways and all, but they both are really good defensive first basemen. Who, the question is, how much impact? How much power are they going to hit, have? And I mean, Glassby is much more traditional that way. In that, I Glassby checks off the boxes of profile for first base. Yeah, Triple A, really good track record of performance. Even if you look back to his college days uh, or what he did with Wood Bats in the Cape Cod League, there's just really good statistical markers for Glassby. And when you go see him hitting balls 420 to center in Durham, that's nothing to scoff at either. The d- debate of Gillespie versus, or sorry, Bowers versus Dom Smith. I mean, I would go with the guy who, at least in my perception, is the the better athlete in Bowers. Which Bowers runs pretty well and can play the outfield. This is it's not like he goes out there and he's a bad bad outfielder. No, this is a guy who's a, who's a you know at least a forty forty five outfielder right now. Sure, and, and that's with limited time out there. Yeah, I mean, and he's. I think this guy's going to be a very special hitter. I don't think this is just an above-average hitter. I right. think this is a guy who has a chance to 
really do some things offensively as a left-handed hitter with elite bat control and good bat speed and some hard hit ability. Do I believe the power is coming? Yes, but I think that uncertainty of whether mm-hmm. because it hasn't quite been there drives does drive his value down a little bit right now. The other guy I want to ask you about because again it was a tough where do you line him up is Garrett Whitley number ten on this list, first round pick in twenty fifteen. Um, you know Whitley basically uh, is still the the. The next game of full season ball will be his first, but he did have a pretty solid season at Hudson Valley, short season, and the Rays are a team that likes to move their guys a little slower than, than a lot of our other organizations do. That's it, and then and you and I have had this discussion, and it was pretty illuminating because I, I originally, as I drew this up, had Whitley higher than I ended up putting him, but the track record of, of first-round picks who don't, uh, first-round position players who are first-round picks and don't Make it to full season ball in their first full pro season. Not a good track record. It's not a good track record. Now, are there some extenuating circumstances with Whitley? Yes, he's in an organization that doesn't push players. He had a hamstring injury in spring training. From what I was hearing during spring training, he did seem likely to go to Bowling Green. Right. Had a hamstring injury, slowed him down. He wasn't ready to go until mid to late May. At that point, it was like, okay, well, let's not rush you to an environment you may not be fully comfortable with and risk you getting hurt again. Let's just take your time, put you in Hudson Valley, which I don't, I haven't been told that this was uh, discussed, but I imagine it didn't hurt to have him playing an hour and a half from where he grew right. up, which is a good developmental environment to put a first round pick with now, limited experience against good pitching. The flip side of that, the downside is, is that next year when he does go to low A, he will play his first game there as a 20 year old, which, <laughs> Is, you know, again, there's some extenuating. He's had an injury. He is a Northeast guy. You know, this is not a guy who's from California or something where I'd be much, the Alex Jacksons of the world I'm much more worried about when it's like, there's no explanation for logically why a guy like that needs, you know, a full, yeah, like a full season that's before. That's a little he's, bit more of a red flag. Right. There's a, that's a bigger red flag. But that being said, I mean, he's behind. There, I mean, there's no other way to put it. It's like, when we look at this, the, the best way, you know, to put this is, Bowers is a year and a half older than Whitley. You know, when we talk about a guy being young for leagues versus old. Yeah. Bowers is a SoCal guy, I know, but Bowers is already... If the Rays had drafted Jake Bowers, he's probably just getting to high A at the end of this season. I don't know, because they were still aggressive with him after they got him, too, though. I mean, I get it. A little bit. You know, but, you know, it was also an early draft, young draft versus old draft and all that. Mm -hmm. But... um. But again, now the interesting thing there, though, is, is that so he's 10. Justin Williams, who's a very intriguing prospect of his, of his own, is number 9. So, mm-hmm. you know, I mean, those two guys are tough to line up. Yeah, I mean, I, I went with Justin Williams because he made it to AA, and he, he raked in the Florida State League this year. Hard hit ability. Doesn't really necessarily profile as well as Whitley does with just pure tools. Mm-hmm. Uh, and that's what I'll mention. That's why Garrett Whitley is on the list. Oh, yeah. His, the tools are his still... His bat speed, I would argue, is better than any of... I mean, it's... You could say maybe Jesus Sanchez or Josh Lowe in this system, but I would say that his bat speed is elite. It is certainly plus. I think that I wouldn't scoff at anyone who said it is better than plus bat speed. That said, bat plus plus bat speed is harder to control and use. Uh, but... The, there's huge power. Javi Baez has made strides with that, but it's been a, a long, 
And, yeah, last, I mean, and Lasting's Village never did figure it out. I mean, it's the sexiest tool because if it all comes together, then, whoa, we yeah. a super It allows you to do things. Uh, exceptional bat speed allows you to do things that normal mortals can't. <laughs> yeah. I can wait on that longer because, I mean, I always think Gary Sheffield is, to me, the epitome of this. Like, Gary Sheffield, the guy who actually deliberately had to add the point to his swing because he was too fast. Like, <laughs> he would see a pitch recognize the pitch, pull the trigger, and find that he was out front because they couldn't get the ball to him mm-hmm. fast enough. So he had to figure out a way to slow his hands so that he could hit like a mortal. Yeah, those guys who can can time it up really well are fun to watch, but it's not certainly not easy to do. So, But, I mean, Whitley's got the bat speed. He's got foot speed. He's got great makeup. His arm got better. In pro ball this year, if you look at the game logs and his splits over the course of the season, he made progress from the beginning of the season to the end of the season. And that is not only is it statistically true, it's corroborated by the scouts I talked to who saw him at different points mm-hmm. in the New York Penn League. So there are adjustments happening there. I do like the developmental track uh, trajectory for Whitley. That said, their risk is probably bigger than some, even some of the other high-risk prospects who are in front of him. No, it, it, and having him as number 10 on your list, if you're the Rays, that's a sign of a good system. And this is, this is a good farm system. There are a lot of questions. I mean, we haven't really talked about Josh Lowe. I mean, that, Jesus Sanchez. There's a lot of, there are a lot of questions about the Rays going forward as far as when you look at the big league, you know, team, the path, you know, <laughs> the, the, the revenue constraints and the spending constraints they have and all that. That being said, I do feel like this is, Probably the best that the Rays farm system has looked like in a couple of years, and mainly because of depth. Since I've been, Maybe, you know, America. Blake Snell. It it was nice to have Blake Snell at the top of the list last year. You know, it was as good a pitching prospect as about anybody in the minors. That being said, though, the depth of it, I feel like that they're drafting better. I mean, they had a stretch there where they were they had a, a pretty good drought there as far as guys getting to the big leagues. You know, from their draft, they've shown you know in recent years that has not been really nearly as much the case. I think that. They've got some depth there. Um, there is some impact talent, but as you said, there's also a lot of inventory, which allows you a lot of different choices. Inventory that can be used either in trade or, much more likely, if you're the Rays, inventory to replace guys that you trade away. And yeah. the reality of it is, is as you said, the big league club right now doesn't have a whole lot of guys. Once you get past Kiermaier Longoria among the position players, I don't think there's anyone that you say, no, we couldn't trade him in the right deal because... Probably not. They have a yeah. lot of guys. They don't have a whole lot of guys who are anchor type guys. They have more guys who are. They have good players. Useful they, players. They have. They have some guys who have potential. Um, like or or like I think Forsyth, Logan Forsyth mm-hmm. is a really good big leaguer. Like just by the metrics, he looks really good. This is a guy who gets on base and plays multiple positions. So I think that guy's a pretty good asset to have on your team, no matter who you are. Um, Duffy, Franklin, there's there's some there's likable pieces. There there I would agree with you though. There's nothing beyond the the ones that you mentioned. The, the problem you have right, and the really the problem with that is is that you compare that to the teams that have been winning the AL. I mean, the, the teams that win, win winning the AL East, Mookie Betts is a you know is a one of the top players in the game. Um, you know, they, yeah, I don't think you can name five players, right. five position players better. I mean, they have the the Red Sox have a young core. 
of guys who are already big league have had big league success and are simply better than the best players in the race. Now the Blue Jays have had that. Now they're losing a lot of them, so that's a that's an opportunity. But even the Orioles, I mean, the Orioles have shown at this point. You you have to say that the Orioles have shown the ability that they kind of have an idea of what they need and they figure out different ways to do it. I mean, Mark Trumbo at this time last year was readily available. Yeah. And I mean, Chris Davis was a few years ago was a similar type pickup. Um, Steve Pierce, for the first time they got him, was, was valuable. <laughs> I mean, you have Machado. Manny Machado is one of the best players in baseball. He's very young, very cost-controlled. There's a decent young pitching staff. That may be the one. We may do Orioles on Wednesday, and that's an interesting because that's a good major league club. Farm system a little thinner. So yeah. we will yeah, be. So to, I mean, to kind of sum it up, this system, what I like about what they're doing is that they don't just have guys who are going to be fourth starters or who project as fourth starters if it all comes together. They don't have guys who are good left fielders. They have guys who have the chance to both get the there and, and fill those spots, but then they have guys like Josh Lowe, like Hazy Sanchez, like Garrett Whitley, Adrian Rondon, Lucius Fox, Kevin Padlow. These young guys who have significant projections. If they all come to together, those are impact guys. Which, if you throw 10 darts at, at a board, you're going to get a bullseye. Like, Sometimes. I mean, probably. I mean, I mean, you, you like your chances you, if you, you throw you, 10 darts. You like if you have 10 darts rather than you'd rather have 10 darts to throw it at than two. Sure. And so if they do the, if they do it well, but I was gonna say there, there's some Royals well. fan listening to this and goes, no, 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 we threw darts for 1999 to 2004, and you know you can you have to have it's, the it's pieces. Not, it's not just throwing darts, right? It's that with, and they with, develop with, with the guys who they have who are close, who are who have right. good good upside right now. Right, they have that, and they also have a history of being able to develop guys too. Yeah, and they're picking Blake them, Snell was a dart four. when they threw them. They're and, picking number four in a really good draft, mm-hmm. and. I'm I'm very going to be very intrigued to see what they do in the draft because it's very good college pitching, and we've we've talked about it yesterday on the podcast. Very good college pitching class and high ceiling high school guys. So are you going to go with the guy with the college pitcher who might be in the rotation super quickly, or are you going to go, go with the mega ceiling type? They're going to be have that kind of option. It looks mm-hmm. like we're far from the draft, but, right? But so it's another. I mean, it doesn't count towards their system right now, but it is something looking forward at the long-term outlook. It is something to consider. Well, that's a good place for us to wrap up here on the Tuesday edition of the Baseball America podcast. Hudson Blinsky joined by BJJ Cooper. Good time to remind you also that if you have not subscribed yet to Baseball America, great time to subscribe. There is a plethora of ways you can do it. If you want the print magazine, you get the print magazine, subscribe to it. You get the website as well, all the uh, pay content on the website. But if you also, if you're did you prefer digital, you can actually have a digital copy of the magazine in your hands, or you can just get the online subscription and get all of our great content, subscriber-only content online, and get it. We have the top tens rolling out. If you want to read all the top tens, you need to subscribe. Oh, Baseballamerica.com/store. And Rule Five seasons coming. Rule up, Rule Five seasons coming up too. That's going to be fun. And and again, to our subscribers who listen, we really do thank you because we can't do this without you. You know, this is the reality of it is, is that, you know, we appreciate everyone who listens, everyone, but 
our subscribers, you are our core, and we really do appreciate that. So baseballamerica.com slash store. For Hudson Belinsky, I'm J.J. Cooper. So long, everybody. This concludes our program. Want more in-depth baseball coverage? Be a better fan. Visit BaseballAmerica.com to get more comprehensive baseball coverage.